0: Just because I thought for basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kid. Hello, and welcome back to Dear Adam Silver, a show dedicated to creating and discussing alternative perspectives on sports and art. I am your host, Abigail Smithson, and I have a couple of wonderful guests with me today. Carly Burke and Ben Horowitz are on the show to discuss their time working for Mark Kelly's coordinated Democratic Senate campaign here in Arizona. As many of you know, in this election cycle, Arizona flipped blue, which was a big deal, and it was an incredible thing to be a part of as a volunteer, and I also had the opportunity to work with Carly and Ben. These two, among many others, put so much time, work, and energy into flipping Arizona, and I couldn't be happier to have them on the pod to discuss their takes and perspectives on our current political situation inside and outside the state. Although this episode is a little different from the norm for the pod, I believe that politics and political campaigns take a huge amount of creativity and, of course, fierce competitiveness and a belief you can win no matter what. So when you come at it from a conceptual point of view, the subject matter fits right into our larger conversation around sports and art. Thank you to Carly and Ben for coming on, and thank you to all of you for listening. So Carly and Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like it's been about 10 years since I met both of you, but really it's been less than six months. But you were both... um, I mean, for me, at least, like parts of my experience from working on the uh, Mission for Arizona, Mark Kelly and Joe Biden's coordinated campaign, I I trained with both of you and and knew of both of you, got emails from you and got to speak with both of you about what was happening in the campaign as you were both working for it and I was volunteering. And I just I feel really lucky that uh, to have you on the pod to talk a little bit about kind of what happened in Arizona and what happened with you guys in Arizona. And you know, Ben, I know that you're from Arizona and Carly, you you moved here to work on the campaign. And I just think it's a good time to be unpacking some of the, the events that have happened in the past month. Yeah, again, it feels much longer than that. So thank you so much for coming on both of you.
1: Thanks for having us, Abigail. I'm so excited yeah, to be here. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So uh, let's just start out with a little bit of like just introductory information about you guys. So I'd love to hear from each of you about what drew you to working on just a campaign. I believe that both of you worked on campaigns prior to Mark Kelly and uh, Joe Biden, <laughs> uh, but just how you came to, to this work and what sort of excites you about politics, or not maybe politics, but campaign work. So Carly, do you want to start out?
2: Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having us, Abby. I'm so honored to be here and, and feel very thankful to, to know you and have had the opportunity to work with you. Um, I am not from Arizona, like you said. I grew up in Los Angeles uh, and I just graduated from college this past May. I graduated from Boston University. Class of 2020. Um, <laughs> yeah really um can't believe I graduated in the same year as the the presidential election it also feels like 10 years ago um I think well i I will say what really drew me to working on campaigns was an experience I had um, at the beginning of the year I had the chance to volunteer on one of the presidential primary races. Um, I had a friend from school who was working as a field organizer on Elizabeth Warren's race in Iowa, and she invited me to come volunteer for two weeks just to kind of see what it was like and learn what it was like to work on a campaign. Um, And ironically, I was actually volunteering in the same region that Ben was working as a field organizer, although we never crossed paths. Um, But I was just so inspired there by the work that the organizers were doing on the ground and how close they were to their communities and how passionate they were about bringing Elizabeth Warren and her ideas to, to each and every member of of the communities in which they were working in Iowa. And so that um, experience was really formative and really inspired me to get involved in a campaign as an organizer. And, you know, I mean, I can, I, I will say, you know I remember where I was in 2016 when Donald Trump was elected. I was a, a freshman in college in my dorm room and I was so distraught and upset. And I think I was really driven by, um, you know this complete like fear about what would happen if Donald Trump was reelected and and this passion for kind of helping people and the issues I care about. But it was really that experience in, in Iowa, specifically with the campaign, where I saw what organizers were doing um, that drove me to want to get involved myself as soon as I graduated.
0: Yeah. And then you, so you were applying for this, you were offered a position organizing in uh, Legislative District 9 in Tucson, which is my legislative district. And that's how we got, that was like the matchmaker.
2: Yes. I guess Ben was the matchmaker a little bit. Yeah, no, he, he was, um, he, he interviewed me and and hired me and placed me, um, in the, the turf I was working in. So he was definitely the one who, who made this all possible.
0: Awesome. (laughs) So Ben, let's hear from you. Speak to that. (laughs)
1: Uh, I, um, yeah, so hard, hard to speak to that. I feel like, um, my, my, my path to, to where I am now in my childhood bedroom is also informed by Elizabeth Warren, I think. Um, I was actually in eighth grade uh, making calls from the this, this same desk actually for then President Obama, not yet President Obama, but um, hopefully, and, and it, it did work out President Obama. Um, but I didn't really conceive of that work as, as organizing so much at the time. I think it was, I want this person to be our next president which at the time actually is is related to arizona because our senator was john mccain um and so arizona was a in my mind a battleground state because i had friends who had read the audacity of hope and who thought you know maybe this person could win here in Arizona? Uh, but when I would call into to the the Obama software and everything, they'd have us call Wisconsin, which is where I was born. I felt a connection there, and I tried to to speak to local issues as best I could for Appleton. But I had only been to Appleton once, and I'd seen the Harry Houdini Museum, but that was it. Um, and I think that um, I, I I wasn't sure that politics was was right for me after Obama. I felt like we elected Obama again in 2012 and we were on such a a strong trajectory for this country and, and i felt like we had started to to you know work towards some of the hope that the first campaign um promised and i think that in the wake of i was a senior in college when donald trump was elected and i had already signed I don't want to say sign my life away, but I've, I'd already signed up to um, work at a at a brand strategy firm in New York City, and I was going. I, you know, I think like many of us in the world, I, I thought that Hillary Clinton might certainly triumph in the in the election. Um, but really, I, I think that similarly to Carly, I was drawn back into politics uh, in part based on what I saw in New York, and and in part based on the work that I did. I. Was working with a lot of big companies and um, there was a, a, Sen- a senator Elizabeth Warren released this um, accountable capitalism act the ACA I, just, I don't think it's called the ACA I called it the <laughs> ACA um, and it called for worker representation on boards about 40 percent uh, worker representation on corporate boards of I think companies making more than one billion a year um And I think that it was her way of fighting back against Citizens United and saying, well, okay, if we are going to treat companies like people, then let's treat them fully like people. And let's instill the same degree of moral obligation that we might to any person um, to these companies and and to ask them to do more by their communities, more by their workers and informed by the work that the workers themselves were doing. you know, maybe not one of Elizabeth Warren's crowning uh, plans, but it was certainly the one that felt like it hit home to the work that I was doing in New York and I think made real some of the the tangible issues that some of these companies were facing, but most of all that the workers were facing. And I remember this moment very definitively, I think I was reading an article in Vox or, or somewhere about this act and um, I brought it up to one of the clients and, and uh, they said, you know, th- this is uh, this is a pipe dream. It's a good idea. I think it's great. We cannot be the first company to go out on a limb and do this. Our shareholders will kill us. You know, some of the things that Elizabeth Warren are proposing are might be great for our industry and might actually help all of us grow in the face of some of these uh, regulations, but none of us can be the first to do it. But begrudgingly, I mean, we would fight her tooth and nail if she were elected president, but it would be better for the world. That to me, that was it. I was like, all right, I gotta do everything I can to help this candidate who's polling in you know, 3% in Iowa win. Um, and I got in touch with a friend or a friend got in touch with me, depending on how you view it. And um, I quit my job, left my apartment um, and moved to Iowa and didn't really look back until after Elizabeth Warren dropped out and I came home to, to, to my house here in, in Tucson, uh, my, to my childhood bedroom, did quite a bit of reflection on what I wanted to do next. And um, on my desk was a, a Mark Kelly hat because we had donated to, to Mark Kelly and I had shipped it here because of the pandemic. And I applied to one job, it was Mission for Arizona, it was for the Mark Kelly campaign. And at that point, pres- the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden. And I got it. And I feel really lucky that I was able to then uh, work in my hometown, in my home street, my home legislative district, legislative districts, nine and 10. And and, um, Carly was the second person I hired.
0: Such a rich, interesting story about how you arrived at this. And also just the fact that Arizona mattered so much. I mean, of course, every state always mattered, always matters in every election. But just this idea that a lot of people were talking about Arizona this year. There's a spotlight on Arizona from around around the whole country. And, uh, you know, maybe not carry the same weight as, like, Michigan or what happened in Georgia has its own, you know, special story to it, too. But, like, it's a huge deal. And we'll get into this later. But just, you know, when Arizona got called on election night, like, what that did to the narrative of, like, I mean, you know, it was a roller coaster. <laughs> Nothing was okay for a long time. But just that, that. uh the excitement of working in a state that where there was real possibility for, for change and for that to be your home state is such a, just means a lot as well, I'm sure.
1: It really does. I, I, I think there was a, a feeling in 08 in Arizona that was like, maybe this is the year, despite John oh Wow, and-
0: yeah, that is wild. And
1: there was a feeling in 2012 that it was, maybe this is the year, you know, Mitt Romney's neighboring state. There was a feeling in 2016. Maybe this is the year. And so I think this year, certainly for Arizona, there was a lot of media attention on it. But I think for those of us who who have lived here for a while, we've been wondering a matter of if I think, uh, or when when not if.
0: Right. And I think that as someone who moved here in 2018, you know, I were I volunteered on the. Uh, uh, Kirsten cinema campaign, like two weeks after I moved here, I couldn't even register to vote. I was like, I've got to do something, you know? And so like, I've only experienced living here as Arizona has made this sort of shift that, that feels dramatic in some way. But also this is, it's just a, it's a funny two years to experience living here when there has been so much attention without knowing all that came before it to like push it in this direction and everything that happened previously. Sure. Yes, but it absolutely made me. I mean, I think that, you know, there is this idea that it's hard to. I mean, I was. I bet I was calling when I was calling, making calls for the Mark Kelly campaign and all that. Like I was probably talking to people who have lived here for like thirty years longer than me, you know, and all and all of that. But at the same time, volunteering and getting involved with politics at a local level, at a state level, makes me care more about arizona and you know you kind of start to learn more about how arizona functions of course this could happen in any state but it made me you know if i ever move again it's like one of my first things gonna be like when's the next election like who's running for anything that i can be involved in because it's just a good way to 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 sort of get something out of where you're living and and invest yourself in that place mm-hmm. yeah
1: i'm I'm curious not to to steal no, my second. Actually, I'm curious um, if Carly or you in in actually calling voters encountered the sort of expectation that this was the year from the perspective of voters. Not a, necessarily a degree of inevitability but maybe a belief that this was the time.
0: There was so much desperation and like a lot of the people I talked to just about, you know, just focused on Trump, I mean, I I think, you know, and a check on Trump that it just felt so much about this year in particular because of Donald Trump rather than this year in particular because of this inevitable shift or this this ongoing sort of move that's been building for a while was the the feeling I got that whatever excitement and investment there was was like related to Donald Trump more so than um, this other movement. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Carly.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think Abigail spoke with a lot more voters than than I did. Um, cuz she was amazing. But I think if there was an expectation that that this was the year, I think from who I spoke with everyone was um, I think energized by Kirsten Cinemas win in 18 and I felt like that energy was still carrying people forward into to 2020 and kind of built the excitement uh for mark kelly um and i think that honestly that excitement for for mark kelly and the potential to elect a, a second democratic senator is also what what carried a lot of the excitement for joe biden so that was definitely the attitude i got from speaking with the voters i spoke with and the the volunteers i worked with that this was the year and it was yeah absolutely
0: so I think, and and Ben, you met. I think that what you mentioned earlier about working in brand strategy ties really well into uh, my next question because I'm really interested in what you all think of politics as a creative pursuit, a a sort of line of work that you need a lot of creat- creativity in, and of course branding is such a huge deal as we're seeing right now with the the sort of back and forth between the more moderate members of the Democratic Party and the more progressive members about like what are the right slogans to use, what are the right words to use. No one knows what we stand for. We're only against things. And I think that it's inevitable when you are the party that is running for to, to regain power that you are you are against things. You know, it's hard to just I think that that happened in with the Republicans in 2016. Um, as well and so I think um, it's just a, a tr- you know when they couldn't really pass a lot of the legislation in the beginning because they had just been against things for eight years and had not necessarily uh, worked through their own laws I'm not saying that that's exactly what's happening with the Democrats right now but there is this sense of like now there's of course they don't have as much power as the De- uh, the Republicans did in 2016 but there is this sense that you um, there, there's not a cohe- cohesive next step necessarily for for all members, and so I'm just wondering what you guys think about politics as as an expression of creativity, of needing creativity in order to be effective, and how how branding can be effective, and maybe how the Democrats can be more effective at branding.
1: That's a, there are a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, sorry, in there, I know. It's like <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's really heavy. Good. I think that there's some stuff there about the electoral prospects of Democrats, i.e. winning in the first place. And then there's the governance portion of things, which is conveying priorities in such a way that makes it clear to the American people where where Democrats stand. And I think that um, on the electoral front of things, politics has, I think for for many years, had sort of a convenient art form in itself with a negative connotation. And that is to say, I, I remember, Obama talking about uh, being an imperfect vessel for people's hopes and fears, and or hopes and, and, and dreams, maybe yeah. fears for some people, but a vessel regardless. I think akin to some pieces of, of abstract or modern art, politicians have been really good for decades at presenting themselves in such a way that lets the voter see them however the voter would like to perceive them, that is to say, intentionally vague or abstract to the point where you are selling yourself as an idea uh, rather than a person or uh, an an electoral idea, moreover, more so than a governing uh, theory or a governing force. And I think that to that first point about winning, part of what energized me about Elizabeth Warren's campaign, not to make this about her, but to the way in which I think she subverted that narrative of uh, the abstract candidate was by explicitly delineating where she fell on each issue. So like her or not, you could disagree on a very specific policy point, or you could agree on that very specific policy point, but I think she did a masterful job of weaving in the governance portion of things into the electoral uh, aspect of winning the election. Now, obviously she didn't win the election, but I think that um, on the the way in which Democrats brand themselves, a lot of it has to do with, I think, like creating a a central unified theory of both the case for change, which I think we did well, to your point, as the antithesis of the the current candidate, but also a a proactive um, unifying, or I should say, central thread that exists across all the issues that you as a voter might care about. So if you're a one-issue voter on this specific thing, why does it matter to you that someone cares about another different issue? I think there needs to be some thread that's contained in each of those uh, issues that lets the voter feel connected to the party as a whole. And I, I think that one thing that is missing is like you know, regardless of if you agree with the premise or not, though I certainly do, there's the the central economic message, which is that a lot of it is tied to who has power in this country and who doesn't. And if we are going to be the power of the people, that can be evident. Uh, in our healthcare policies, in our economic policies, in our labor policies. Uh, But I also think candidates have a a duty to make policies real for people, to to bring them down from like X number of billion dollars in the federal government to this is what's gonna affect your life, your roads, your schools on a a small community level. And if I were redesigning the tool, not to go off, but like if I were redesigning the tool that you use to, to make calls, I think that there's such an opportunity to say, hey, based on your zip code, here's the amount of money difference, or the amount of of uh, you know the X federal project that will affect your community. That's a one hell of a better script, in my opinion, than do you hate this person? Well, then vote for this other person. Um, and I, so I, I think that that is where the the art form for me continues in terms of making things real for people, not because they need to be talked down to or educated on these things, but because I think we as a a party and a government have done a really bad job of connecting government to people's lives and vice versa.
0: That's great. The, and I think the th- the thread point is a really wonderful way, I mean, I'm going to say to tie it all together, but I don't mean to use such a thing, <laughs> tying and thread, but just this idea that there's so many different things to agree with. I mean, for me, at least in, in many parts of the party, but it's just there's it's hard when there's not something that's like unifying everyone all together to sort of get on board with in the way that it seems like the Republicans have been slightly more effective at that uh, much to my dismay. So, Carly, what do you think about this?
2: Yeah, um, I, I I have had this discussion with with Ben before, and I completely agree with what he said. And it's often hard to to follow him. I think um, zeroing in on on two specific parts of of politics and campaigning. One, Abigail, I know we've spoken about like roles that you would fill on a campaign if you were ever interested in joining a campaign and i i think you know we can't talk about creativity without talking about like the impact that like digital branding digital communications has has shaped politics and changed politics in the past 10 years um i think there is so much room for more creativity in in branding and, and really in every aspect of campaigning with the introduction of of social media networks like Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat, and now we even see um, AOC raising money through Twitch, through through video game streaming, which is so absolutely remarkable. And you, you would never, five, 10 years ago, that would never be a platform that you would even conceive of of a politician using to raise awareness for an issue or to raise money. Um, and so I, I think there is still so much room for, for growth and creativity, but also we've seen such incredible uh, achievement using these digital platforms and the way um, uh, candidates, digital teams leverage the, the networks and leverage their digital profile so much so that you have these local races that have gained national attention strictly because of the way their team has elevated them on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media in general. And that's not something that that could happen, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think that is a really remarkable space where creativity really, really comes to play. And I think I'm in awe of the creative work that, um, you know, digital um or whatever their roles are, I I don't quite know the names of all their jobs, but the work that they're doing on social media and the work they're doing to elevate their candidates platform is really important. Um, The other thing I I just think where creativity is so critical is in organizing itself. And I I say this because I have experience as an organizer. Um, we, We talk every single day about how to creatively organize communities and bring communities together. And I think that was especially apparent in this election where we couldn't get together in person, where we couldn't hold events in person, where, um, you know, I would I would hear about Ben's experience in Iowa and all of the creative ways he brought together his community in Iowa, and those simply weren't options that we had within the context of COVID. So I think in every aspect of a campaign or politics, creativity is is fundamental to success and to getting your message out and to connecting with people and to bringing people together. Um, and so I, I I don't think there is any context in which, like, Art and creativity are are not important to the work we do and the work that that campaigns do.
0: And those restrictions that we had like forced that. I mean, I'm I wasn't an organizer, so I can't say, but just that the creativity sometimes uh, comes from being restricted and only having a few options that you kind of have to think about how to make those options as effective as possible. Uh, and, yeah, so, I mean, I think that that's a great point that this is a particular year that required doing things in a different way that that would not have been the the uh, circumstances in other years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It definitely pushed the, the boundaries of my own creativity and every single day and in the job it was thinking about how can I connect with more people how can I bring this community together and and that's what I, I I kind of credit gave rise to events like the art event that we did together looking at art and and uh social justice and and politics um but it was something that within our team we we talked about it all the time and we we you know bounced ideas off of each other and always just kind of tried to push the envelope of what we could and couldn't achieve just using Zoom and and digital platforms.
0: Right, and when we think about politics and and art and how those cross over, and Carly, i was so thankful, and Ben for having been given that opportunity. Carly's idea, Ben's support. Thank you so much for letting me put that panel together to discuss uh, sort of social social change through art and how that can you know happen through politics as well. And the the example that I cite in that presentation about uh, Bree Newsom taking down the Confederate flag on the South Carolina Capitol property was like this huge sort of coming together of several different things. So Brie Newsome identifies as an artist. We are on like essentially, I mean, the the property that belongs to the state. It's also political grounds in, in many ways. And then, of course, this issue with the Confederate flag can be politicized, but also is about human rights. And so like how all of those things just cross over all the time. And of course, we're seeing how that um, and they you know that was an issue of of I mean, I, I don't know if it was done under the Black Lives Matter movement, but it's, it's certainly a issue that has to do with Black Lives Matter. And we're seeing that, how that is playing out repeatedly. And um, it's just an important thing to to recognize, definitely.
1: I think there's, a, I, I absolutely. And I, I think there's a general aversion, like even in the example that you cited of uh, you and Carly doing that event, um, I think that there is a general aversion to things that might be considered either controversial or weaponized against a politician. I think monuments are a really good example of that, which might be affected later down the road, or um, meanings might be taken on uh, on behalf of the monuments without the creator's necessary knowledge. But I think that the trust that a candidate has in the team, but also to Carly's point about digital things, letting. Um, things down the line sort of take on life of their own, I think is really important to cultivating a real sense of a community that exists after an election than just the electoral end of things. And I think that this tension point between governance and winning an election is one that is evident in those monuments as well, or the ways in which monuments function, because in many ways, like Carly's Facebook group of volunteers is itself a living monument that I think is taken on new life after the campaign in some ways, and, and but that is certainly not part of a, a general communication strategy. That is, I don't want to use the term trickle down, but that is a trickle down effect of um, the ways in which I think the organizing in the box of the pandemic forced out of the box solutions that as a result of them being out of the box, or frankly, a little bit normal or banal in the form of like a Facebook group, it's accessible and i think that um the way in which art and politics intertwine it might mean that there are people who are interested in art or consumers of art or, or generative practitioners who might be a part of politics now that might not have had they not had that entree point entry point um into into politics so i think that the more entry points that we can provide as a party and specifically as organizers, I think Carly did a really good job of this, of little steps up into a broader narrative or into broader political purposes. That's I think what's gonna help bridge that tension point or, or divide between the governance and the electoral end of things.
0: Absolutely. And I think that like the tension that I always recognize between sports and art being, you know, perceived as separate separate entities often is also between art and politics and artists often feeling like we have to work against the system uh, through your art through your practice through whatever you're raising money for or how you live your life and then the system is what the the politicians are working within so you're kind of like what what role do i get here how do i get to be a part of this and of course you can just be a part of it like a a normal or like a a not you know anyone who's not an artist or whatever it is like there's nothing that inherently keeps it it's just this idea of like Um, the system feeling like it's what's kept, you know, artists in a certain part of our of our society in general. And so I think that, you know, even when I was calling people asking to be a part of the panel that Carly and I put together, it was still like, you know, people are like anti-politicians, you know, and it's like I was like, you know, I'm voting for Mark Kelly. I care about Mark Kelly and I care about him winning. And this really matters to me. And like, there's also a way to like bring you into this that isn't always focused on like a yay or nay vote. That's about, you know, just being a part of this larger community. And I think that the Mark Kelly campaign did such a good job of that with the weekends of... Of action or the 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 events that were one of them was was ours, but like all these events and discussions that took place on Zoom about different issues that that Matt might not you know you might have found like one or two that mattered to you, but like it just it felt like it was opening up the space for a lot of different people to come in with very specific agendas, and that's such a you know then that speaks I think to what you were saying earlier Ben about when you call someone the script not being here we're talking about like joe biden in general but no we're going to talk about your district and what's happening in your district and like you know the the frustrations or the things that you care about right there and i think that that has a lot of uh power to it the more specific you get the actually more the more general you can speak the more people you can bring in
1: i love that line
0: yeah i mean i think it's a it it, yeah i think it helps helps with artists as well (laughs)
1: I think it speaks to sports too, and I, I think about the shut up and dribble moment, and I think about the the ways in which Le, LeBron James and his school made national news as a, a celebrity doing something. But the undercurrent there is also the education system in the area that he's working in. I think that like drawing again that that connection point between those things is so important as a, a means of. Fighting back against the negative messaging that you're talking about, or the being against something as opposed to for something, um, because I think too, in being for something, you are always implicitly fighting something else uh, in some ways, and so I think it's a matter of casting that um, that that action in a way that is authentic and not just uh, against something. Yeah
0: yeah absolutely. Uh, and and just the the sort of the branding how we how we pitch ourselves, how we share ourselves, how we're how we're communicating the ideas. I know that Carly and I had talked when we got to meet in person, finally, we just spoke briefly about uh, that how when you know, I was saying that when I woke up on Wednesday morning after the election, you know, really. Upset about how many people um, thought Donald Trump should be president again, should be president for four more years, and also really frustrated that the the Democratic Party seemed to fail in in conveying its message Um, in in a way where I agree with so many of the ideas, and I feel so strongly about some of the ideas. It's like how, and not just for me, but for other people. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's also an issue. Is just like what I want for other people, but it's just this idea of. we can do better so much better and not like, I mean, we can do better too, but just this idea of as like a national party, uh, I just, I want, I want more. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, sort of go to election night. I'm sure we're all watching the returns and, or, I mean, I was just looking at Twitter cause I couldn't deal with visuals at that moment. Um, and my mom texts me, Arizona just got a call for uh, Mark Kelly and Joe Biden. I text Carly. I'm like, what's happening? She's like, it seems, I mean, I think you were like, you know, it was already that time of the night where it felt like we needed a bigger, like the thing that we thought might happen was not happening. This this huge wave was not going to happen. And And Carly mentioned that in the text. And. I think I know that I felt like, why is Arizona being called so early? Like, this is crazy because I remembered in 2008 or 2018 with um, Kirsten Cinema, it took like two weeks to finalize those results. Kirsten Cinema was losing on election night. I was like, what has happened here that they are now able to call this election so soon? So there's a lot of suspiciousness. And I was just wondering, like, your guys, your election night experience, how did that go as, as people working in Arizona uh, and Arizona being sort of this weird playing a weird role that night.
2: Ben, would you like <laughs> to go first?
1: I'm I'd like to hear what your election night experience was first, Carly.
2: Um so I I will say mine was unique for this election in that I was living with, you know, eight other organizers on the campaign. Can you guys hear me? Okay? Yes. Okay. Crystal um, So. That was really special for me and that I got to share that night with them. We had been doing this work together. We'd been living together. Um, and so being able to, to be in that environment was really special. And I recognize that's not an opportunity that a lot of people had on this campaign or or not on a campaign. Um, I think when Arizona was first called by I think Fox called it first. It was really early in the evening. Um and I was perplexed. I was like there's no way like I just like refused to to uh recognize this like I can't like celebrate this yet like this is just one call um and I I think you know the advice we had been given by um our incredible by Joe Biden's and incredible campaign manager Jenna Miley Dillon was essentially don't party don't panic and that was basically like whatever calls are made you know we don't celebrate it but we also don't panic because everything will inevitably change as the week goes on. Um, and so I definitely like like um, Abigail, I was feeling really up- upset um, at the lack of kind of like landslide that was emerging in favor of Joe Biden. I think we all just wanted to see the US just like definitively reject Donald Trump. And like that was something that would have been so satisfying and what we all wanted, although we knew that wasn't what we were getting. so. I tried to stay relatively stable um, throughout election night. I was trying not to panic. I was trying not to party. I think. At about two in the morning when uh, the AP called uh, Arizona and Mark Kelly, I partied just a little bit, um, but <laughs> then I went to bed because I realized I couldn't stare at MSNBC any longer. I wasn't going to learn anything. What new. is
0: par- partying um, in this case? Like when you say you partied a little bit,
2: I did a cartwheel. Like. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I think I think party in this sense just means like celebrating sure, and course. acknowledging that you've won. So like really taking in like, wow, we've done it. We've won this election. Yeah. Like, we did it. Um, and especially in arizona i mean we knew the the votes would continue to be counted throughout the week and so there was no reason on election night to 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 celebrate or to kind of bask in this kind of like despair so i would say election night I was, a, I was definitely a little upset, but I was trying to remain relatively calm, knowing that the next day I, I had to get up and, and work in and that ballot cure, our ballot cure process in Arizona was going to start, but also that I just had to be patient and not wait and not really react until every last vote was counted.
0: It's wise words, Carly, really Didn't wise words. No, you're good. I just, <laughs> the don't panic, don't party. And just you're talking about staying calm. That was... That's just if we can all hold on to that, you know, in two years maybe and live that out again. Cause it's just really hard to not lose lose your minds really early on in the evening. You know, as soon as Florida does whatever Florida does, it's like, ah, you know, so it's just uh it's uh it's wild rides. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs>
2: It was it was definitely hard, and that's what I think I mean when I was lucky to be surrounded by eight other organizers on the campaign because we could all kind of keep each other in check about what was happening. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And Ben, what was your experience?
1: I am trying to remember because I was very tired on election right, night. Right, right, right. I think um, I was. You know, it's interesting. I think that, except for maybe a few people at the most senior levels of a campaign. Election night looks like to everyone sitting on, you know, New York Times or Washington Post or Fox News or wherever you are, refreshing a page. And uh, my memories of that night are refreshing pages, time and time again. I think that we had um, we we found ourselves in an interesting place because we we are Arizona. We've been accustomed for years and years of early vote by mail elections and so we had a good idea i think going into election day of how many people had voted the percentage of people who had voted we had a good idea of how many registered Democrats independence republicans had voted we knew what turnout was looking like in a lot of these areas election day as anything uh, was a, a surprise in the sense that you don't know how many people are going to show up uh, but because Arizona doesn't allow same-day registration, which I think it should, um, we, we we could do a little bit more number crunching in Arizona than we might have been able to in another state. Um, but we knew going into election day, to Carly's point, that the next week was going to look like us making sure that everyone had their voices heard at the ballot box or in the vote by mail ballot, i.e. chasing people uh, sometimes literally to to make sure that their their signature was on the ballot and their vote was counted and and so i think if you've got an election that's running for three four months or in this case several weeks of people turning in their ballots election night was a big night to be sure but i think the second that we realized it wasn't going to be a blowout it was what are we doing the next day Who are we pulling to show up at 7 a.m. at the recorder's office to get credentials and watch them count the ballots? Uh, By the way, there were Republican and Democratic observers at the polling at the the recorder's office. (laughs) Oh,
2: yeah.
0: By the books. (laughs) Yeah, that's important, too, because Arizona, the spotlight has not gone off Arizona throughout this whole time because it has been, you know, Alex Jones was here in Phoenix uh, riling people up and – I accidentally became part of a Trump caravan on Grant Road uh, right before the election. I mean, like a day- two days before the election, it was uh, going to the Democratic headquarters on Grant. And uh, when I finally got there, there was a huge truck with the Trump flag parked right in front of it, like super just so I mean, yeah, just some there's a lot happening in and around the election before and after that. Uh, yeah. So anecdote, but I mean, I also think that um, what you're talking about is like things continuing on after the election. I think that, you know, that we had a bunch of election nights like leading up or election days sort of leading up to this and that that's something else that kind of plays into the engagement, I think, is like people and and, and sort of staying engaged beyond that one night. I mean, of course, there's things like you have to do, like carrying the ballots and things like that, but that it's not just like packing up and leaving necessarily. Or I know that... um, I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talks about this like year-round engagement. So it's not just showing up at a specific time to, to get those votes.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm looking for this uh this quote from Carly. I remember we were on um we were on Zoom, uh, most of the team and, and Carly got a call from one of her volunteers um from Legislative District 9 who had volunteered for election after election after election. Has been, been an Arizona native for decades, and um, she was just so emotional. She didn't understand why we didn't repudiate Trump to the degree that we we were expecting to or hoping to. Um, but also, I think why in Arizona, you know, some places had called it and others hadn't. Should we not trust those initial? reports i think arizona more than any of the other states it was unclear why some had called and 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 others hadn't i remember the new york times blue map didn't change uh or didn't change to blue until 9 days i think after the election but um carly talked about she said something that seared to my brain uh that she said to this person who i think asked you know when is, when is it going to change i think was her question um and Carly said, change really only comes in increments, period. Uh, and this is a small increment, but it's an increment nonetheless. And I think that embodied some of what we felt uh, on election night itself, where it was clear that Mark was gonna win, but Joe was, was still not hundred percent.
0: This episode of Dear Adam Silver is brought to you by Bookman's. What better time than now to support our favorite local businesses, especially during this holiday season. And for me here in Tucson, it's Bookman's. I was just in Bookman's the other day to get a copy of the book *Harold at the North Pole. For those of you who don't know, the Herald and the Purple Crayon series by Crockett Johnson is about a baby that gets out of his crib and draws the world for himself using a purple crayon. I highly recommend this series for all of your friends below the ages of five. And it's been one of my favorite books since I was about two. It is very important now, during the pandemic, more than ever, to shop and spend our money locally and with businesses we care about and trust. Bookman sells used books, records, movies, musical instruments, and more, and is a wonderful community-oriented store. The shelves are stocked with items brought in by the community, and in addition to shopping, you can also trade your own used items in at Bookman's for cash or store credit. Bookman's has curbside pickup for books ordered ahead of time and for selling and trades. Please visit www.bookmans.com for more information and to find your nearest location. And remember, Bookmans has cool covered. And I think that that speaks to another point. Carly and I had discussed about cultural change sometimes happening faster than, like, alignment with an individual as your favored politician. That Arizona passed great propositions, this election cycle, more funding for public education, legalizing marijuana, Pima Community College is now able to get money that they weren't able to get before. And so it just feels like that and that had been being pushed for a while as well. And so the fact that, I mean, the the candidates that you might I mean, I think that, you know, since Arizona flipped, it's it's not the best example for this. But like and I'm still we won't know until 2022 or 2024 if Arizona's like flipped in a way that, like, Virginia flipped or in a way that, like, I'm not sure what another comparison would be, but that it could, you know, it could flip back. And this is the exception because people were voting against Trump versus, like, for something. But that the culture, like, there's some cultural movements that are happening that, like, we still have to catch up the, like, party alignment to those cultural movements in many ways. And so, like, that incremental change, those little things, even without Joe Biden winning Arizona, it would have been a really big deal that those propositions pass like politically for this place?
1: I think the the thing that that recalls is actually a little bit of what your job was and what Carly's job was. And it ties back to the brand strategy point of things, which is quite simply that for many people, you are the first time that they are hearing a real human talking to them about the candidates or the party or the propositions. And I think that Propositions are often confusing, and that, that may be a different conversation about the language in which we talk about direct voter um, approval of of measures. But you and Carly were the brand ambassadors. You were the the first touch point for many people for this campaign, and so the degree to which you follow a script or 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 use your own language to describe these things that has a, a telephone effect or a network effect if so and so mentions some of the words that you used or didn't use to to family members or loved ones that that has an impact that i think it's hard to hard to measure um what that network effect looks like
2: sure absolutely i also just want to add sorry yeah please can you guys hear me I'm so sorry you're, com- you're coming through it's great um, just to, to your point about like creating long-term change and kind of, I know we've spoken about this, like setting up an infrastructure and an electoral campaign that lasts beyond the election. Um, I think that also is is critical um, in Arizona. And, and I think part of the reason why we won in Arizona this year, which this is not news to any of you, but I just think it's in, important to like, s- vocalize it that so much of, of the win can be attributed to the work that like groups on the ground, like grassroots organizations have done um, organizing communities for the past, you know, 10 years. Um, and so I I think, you know, for me coming off of this uh, campaign I've been reflecting a lot about the role that um, electoral campaigns have in impacting and shaping a community and the role that like community organizations that are on the ground all year long have in shaping a community. And so I think at least one thing that's really that was really important to me and and guided me through a lot of this work is is thinking about how to keep the people who helped you know drive this election engaged um, after the election is over and after we've won how to how to set it up to win again in twenty twenty two.
0: That's really important to recognize. So I'm wondering how working on this campaign has changed or impacted your views of well of course there's like the well national politics in the United States and uh, also state politics maybe this could be specific in Arizona and this then maybe goes a little bit to your experience of having grown up here and having seen you know seen this build for a while in a way that other people um, might not have and so just, How has how did working for the campaign during this particular cycle affect your view of of our national political stage?
1: Hmm. (laughs) Why? Think that. Barack Obama gave a lot of people a lot of hope who didn't feel it for a long time. And I think that the election of Donald Trump in some ways undid that feeling of hope or future progress or or hopefulness. And I think that this campaign is interesting because it's hard for me to distinguish between the Elizabeth Warren experience and this one in some ways, despite the fact that Iowa is not my home and I did not grow up there. I think that as an organizer, like as what Carly did, that is the most in touch. It's more accurate than any poll. It's more real than any uh, article can 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 get at, because it's more than just one interview. It is a month-long, many cases months or years-long process. And not just in electoral organizing, but in Carly's description of community organizing and work that's done year-round too. That is like the most on the ground feeling that I think that you can have. And I think that the question of how this this campaign specifically changed or my view of of state or local or or national politics is um inextricable from the like act of listening and good listening that really good organizers have to do in order to be effective at persuading people to vote for someone in their communities. And and in some ways I think it it touches on some of the potentially transactional nature of this work, whereby people might feel listened to every few years and then you you leave. And I think that um Part of what was so special about this experience for me is that um, I'm still here and my family is still here, and the people with whom we worked and the volunteers are all still here, and they will be, and generations later will be too. And that's the case in any campaign, but I think it's realer when you log into Zoom and you see your third grade teacher and uh, your first kiss and someone who just got engaged and you're wondering why you're still in your childhood bedroom. But I think it's it's um I digress. I think it, it it's important uh for me to have seen who got engaged, why they got engaged, and why they stuck with it for so long, for so many months of uh getting the phone hung up on you. Like wh- why do you care enough to keep going? Uh and, and in the face of that, I think why do you care enough to potentially keep going after the election? I think that electoral organizing in this camp in, in this pandemic to your point captured a lot of people who might not otherwise have felt like they could participate it's a both a blessing and a curse that everything is virtual and you you had people log on to zoom who might not otherwise have been able to knock a door um or to drive down to the office to make phone calls and so the way that i feel like it shaped my perception of arizona is not necessarily or national politics is not necessarily a, a grandiose, you know, learning about uh, humans as a whole, as much as it is a, a reaffirmation, I think, of the importance of the community underlying the organizing work. And especially thinking about how to capture or retain that semblance of a team or of a community, especially a digital community in the wake of the election. Because at some point we will return to like a normal, more normal life. And when that happens, I think it's going to be really important to make sure that the chains of connection or the, the, I don't know, bonds of of kinship that people felt around this election and volunteering in this election are retained in such a way so that we can actually pass more propositions to to fund education the way it should be funded in Arizona. Um, Because to me, actually, those propositions are a, a bigger bellwether of the state of Arizona than the candidates themselves might be. Um, passing a tax increase in Arizona is a huge deal of any sort, much less for education. Um, because I remember voting for a proposition after a proposition that never passed. Period. And so to have several of them in the same year is, I think, really telling. Because we also didn't organize around it. Like we didn't make proposition calls. Those are our proposition organizers and community people, and sentiments of the the country and the, and the state that that elected those are reified those propositions.
0: And and the failure of those propositions before, potentially without those, fa- I mean, it's just like kind of, you continue knocking, it's, you know, with uh, Stacey Abrams, what she's done in Georgia and, and her loss in 2018, like it mattered that she ran and, and organized as much as she did then, like were, we're, and hopefully will continue to benefit from the work that she put in before. And I, I have, I've heard that compared to, you know, what it mattered for Jamie Harrison to run in South Carolina in a way that, that could make it easier for someone else to win there uh hopefully against lindsey graham in the future so I, that,
1: and red for ed here. yes absolutely I think the, the really clear tangible connection between the red for Ed organizers and the teachers and ultimately passing that and i think carly saw that too with some of the the survivors of gun violence here i think that that is so real and raw in the tucson community mm-hmm. that who knows where we'll be in a yeah. few years there
2: so
0: Carly, yes, please speak to your the change that that you felt from from working. And 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 of course like shout out Elizabeth Warren as much as you want or the campaign that you worked on before before joining uh, Mission for Arizona.
2: Yeah, so um one thing I, I will say to preface is that, like I, I said, I'm from Los Angeles, I grew up in California, and I, I grew up in a community that honestly didn't pay that much attention to state or even local politics, and that might be because we're so far removed from Sacramento and from Northern California, but at the same time, I, I think I, I will say about my own community, there was a real lack in within my family, within my community as a whole, and, and, um, you know, shaping and and paying attention to what was happening at the local and state level. And so when I moved to um, Boston to go to school in Massachusetts, and I started learning about Massachusetts politics, and when I moved to Arizona to, you know, figuratively at first, but then when I physically moved there um, to work on the Mission for Arizona campaign, that was Truthfully, and this is quite shameful to admit, that was really my first time like understanding how um people engage with their representatives at the local and, and state level. And one thing that um it keeps telling me my internet connection is unstable. I'm so sorry if I cut out. But okay. um And nothing to be ashamed that, of. <laughs> uh... <laughs> really... <laughs> and I'm on my hotspot too. I don't know why my hotspot's unstable. Um <laughs> I think for me, what I I learned and thought a lot about was connecting uh, politicians and and elected officials and initiatives at the local and state level to the national campaign and how you kind of draw the dots between what's happening at the the local level to the state level to the national level and i think what really makes me think about this now in reflection is looking at the the corporation commission race in in arizona and the fact that we only elected you know one of the the democrats on ticket but then elected two of two republicans for the commission as well um and so that just really kind of you know made it clear to me how this this kind of um like discrepancy between people understanding, you know, the democratic candidate and the democratic party at the national level, but then like failing to really connect that to what's going on locally in your community. And... I think part of that has to do with, you know, communication. And I think part of that has to do with, you know, like how the the Democratic Party communicates at the top, but also how we like organize and how we connect stuff that's going on the local level to the Democratic Party as a whole. And so I think what I would just like to see or work on or be a part of moving forward and and kind of like what Ben has been talking about this whole time is really connecting the the candidate at the highest level, the, the presidential candidate and his platform and the Democratic uh, party platform in general to stuff that's happening locally in your community, and and I've I've heard Ben speak about his experience volunteering in 08 for for Obama, um, calling into Appleton, Wisconsin, and it just has has always stuck with me the the way he kind of described it, looking at federal projects in Appleton and and discussing I don't know I can't recall Ben if he mentioned that, but his his it's sorry to to speak for him, but his his strategy was basically just kind of like looking at federal projects that would, that are affected by the federal budget or initiatives by the president, and then connecting that to Barack Obama and Barack Obama's campaign and kind of explaining to the voters he spoke with there how Obama's presidency would affect that project and would affect their community. Um, and so I just, I think moving forward, I I just think, you know, it, it at least in in some senses, as we kind of fight the the fascism that's kind of like encroaching on our, our country, um, thinking about how we connect those dots better all the way up the line from the local to the national level and how those messages, you know, work together and play off of each other and, and how we as, as organizers for the national campaign can localize the work we're doing. I mean, of course, we're working in a community, but can can localize what we're fighting for and the the broad kind of policies we're fighting for to the to the local community.
0: That's such a good point, and I think it just goes back to this idea of it's not over after the election. And I think that you know when when Ben you're talking about phone banking for Obama in two thousand eight, and that was so. I'm a bit older than you guys. That was the first election I voted in, and. Um, I think after, I mean, it seemed like for a lot of people, including myself, it was kind of like, wow, great, we did it, like, wonderful. And then, like, sort of retreating from being engaged and getting excited. And I think that, you know, that spoke, that speaks to also just how inspirational Obama was that it kind of like blind, was a blinder in some ways to like systemic issues that continued to exist outside of whoever he was as an individual. And so, I mean, I was not phone banking I was not making these connections with Appleton, Wisconsin and Arizona I was drinking vodka even though I was older and could vote I was still less responsible than you've been but I I think that that is not what is happening like that is not what I hear is happening this time there's like much more attention to it's the system that's the issue. Yes we needed to elect Joe Biden but we also need to know that like the issues that we have are bigger than one individual and it's so good. Carly, to hear you say, like, encroaching fascism, because that is still something to be concerned about, even though, I mean, it's not good to talk, you know, that we have to deal with encroaching fascism, but that is like a present problem. That is not something that we like, got Trump out of office. Now we don't have to to worry. It's like, there's a lot to be concerned with. Still, like, aside from his, uh, whatever is happening with his acceptance or not acceptance of their election results, like, who comes next? Who is the Republican Party's next candidate? What is the – how does their platform uh, devolve, continue – how is it going to continually devolve, in my opinion? So I think that it's really like – that the we have the same issues that we had uh, before November 3rd, before Election Day in 2016, before Election Day in 20, 2008. Like it's all the same. It's just um, – it's uh, – it's just good to hear that it's like, it seems like there's more of an investment from so many people like across the board about like continuing on with this, even when it's not, you know, this one day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot more people care and are aware of it now. I know my own, you know, parents actually in, in quarantine kind of underwent this whole revelation about racial and social justice um, and they started putting in a, a lot more to educating themselves and and learning about, you know, our, our systems of oppression in this country and in, in a way that I've never seen them do before. And they now speak about it in a way that I've never heard them speak about it before. Um, and so I I just think our job now is just to continue building on the, the progress we've built, kind of using the opportunity we've been given by electing a democratic president and Perhaps electing a, a democratic Senate um, to really sort of try to address like the systemic issues that we all care about that all drew us into this fight. And I I think when I when I think about like fighting fascism or just fighting some of these ideas, that's where I I turn really to like community organizing and these groups that are on the ground, speaking with people every single day about the issues that matter to them and then connecting that back to, you know, the the policies and ideas that we support. So our work isn't done for sure. I know that, um, but you know, it's nice to sleep for a little bit after sure. the election, but I'm jazzed to get going again.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, we have to flip uh, Louisiana blue. That's like the long-term goal. <laughs>
2: so yeah Absolutely. i
0: can um i'm excited for that and ben do you have any i mean i guess this is that was my last question i did have another question about georgia and of course georgia flipping is different from arizona flipping in in some ways and you know Atlanta is different from phoenix and uh a state in the the south is is symbolically different from the southwest but um I also don't want to get into the prediction game too much because, like, it's just uh, as we saw with the the general election, like it's just a bag of disappointments. So, mm-hmm. um, anyways, I just we can let's end with like working, still working after the election.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um, I'm a ho- wholly unqualified of the Georgia conversation, but I I, I think it is in some ways related to to what you and Carly are talking about and and things happening after the election. Because there is an election after the election, always. Uh, But there is, especially in this case in Georgia. I think um, you talked about Stacey Abrams and Fair Fight and LaTosha. I I think that there are a lot of people on the ground who have been on the ground, i.e. grown up there, who um, I think are feeling I can't imagine what they're feeling, but I think they must be feeling some degree of what we feel here in Arizona or have felt of this is the time, this is the time, this is the time, but they've worked so damn hard for it and um, and they continue to. So I, I hope that both with the Arizona thing in the future and the Georgia thing now, um, it's gonna be, I think, in in many ways decided by the hard work of the the people from those communities who have spent their lives um, in them and, and trying to change them or or bring the, the learnings of that community to a broader one. So I think that's politics at its best is when there are community people affecting change in their community, but not necessarily even a change all the time. I think that sometimes it's about amplifying what is working for one area that might be a, a new thing for somewhere else.
0: Absolutely. Well, I feel so lucky to have had the chance to work with both of you on this winning campaign we can say (laughs) in capital letters uh it's just yeah i mean i think that i felt like it was my destiny to live in arizona during a general election cycle for sure and to experience the excitement around being here and and knowing what was capable in the state this year um and has only made me care more about this place and and what happens next and uh yeah, just I think that I somehow forgot that Mark Kelly was running in a special election. Uh, and Carly reminded me that when we met up that he has to run for re reelection in 2022. I, I'm not sure where I forgot that, but somewhere along the way I did. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not not too long uh, before we start phone banking again for that.
1: The state legislature, too. I think we, we came so close this time. Sure. And- we, uh, we can do it. I really think that we can and, and we have to and the governor governor's race as well is so important as COVID has taught us here in Arizona and, and in so many places around the world.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm so grateful to you both for making time to do this among all the other things you've made time for and all the space you've given me and all the work that you put in to Flipping Arizona. And yeah, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Abigail. We we couldn't have done what we did without you. And it's our pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it, so ex- yeah. Thank you so much, Abigail, for everything. It's just exciting to be a part of something much bigger than, than yourself and my own Twitter scrolls and rage. So you helped me channel that into some productive conversations. Not all of them productive, but a lot of them productive, which is good. Well... Take care of yourself. Thanks, Stay safe.
2: You too. Thank you, Abigail. Uh, Thank you again for all your
0: work during the, the December. Campaign. You were amazing. And January and uh, Georgia runoff. And we'll be texting during that. I'll text you both. You know, whatever. So take care of yourself.